Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Ezekiel, the 40th chapter, the prophet, gives us an account in the 5 and 20th year of the captivity of the children of Israel specifically in the beginning of the year, in the 10th day of the month and in the 14th year after the city was smitten, and in the selfsame day the hand of the Lord was upon me, that's Ezekiel, and brought me thither. In the visions of God, he brought me, the Bible says God brought me, he met me into the land of Israel and set me upon a very high mountain by which was as the frame of a city on the south. And he brought me thither, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of brass, with a line of flux in his hand, and a measuring reed, and he stood in the gate. And the man said to me, Son of man, behold with thine eyes, and hear with thine ears, and set your heart upon all that I shall show thee, for to the intent that I might show them unto thee, that thou brought thither to declare all that thou seest to the house of Israel. This man is carried by God in the visions of the Lord and is taken up, the Bible has called it a very high mountain. And that mountain was as the frame of a city from the south. And right there in the vision in that mountain, a man comes to him and through that the Lord gives him an instruction and tells him that there are things your eyes should see. There are things your ears should hear. There are things your heart should keep for the intent he shows these things to you that you might tell them to Israel. Now, those of us who have read the Bible for some time, you know, figuratively, that mountains are a representation of vision. The higher the mountain, the higher the vision, of God. Do you agree? And so God here is telling us that there are even different levels of vision according to how high we are taken by God to see. If you think about it from a physical realm, the higher the building you own, the farther you are able to see. If we assume that next to this building, there is no other building shielding you to see as far. Is that so? If you're on a physical mountain, on top of that mountain, you are able to see many miles away than you are able to see if you are on the flat ground or you're in the valley. And so God has used mountains as a figure of speech to define realms or places of vision. The Bible tells us in Jesus' temptation, you remember when he went 40 days into the wilderness. Bible tells us that the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him that if you will bow to me, I shall give you all these kingdoms. He showed them to him and the Bible says, and all that glory. And he told him, if you will bow to me, I will give you all of these kingdoms. Now, there is no point physically where we the man can stand and he is able to see the whole world. No matter how high the mountain is physically. 
So that means the mountain that Jesus Christ was taken at spiritually was a mountain in the unseen world. Are you following? It was a spiritual place. So in the spirit realm, there are mountains and there are valleys. And they are not spelled by the circumstances that you go through as an individual. Or some people say, oh, you might be going through the valleys and then, you know, you'll climb the mountain and stuff. Some use that as a figure of speech for the circumstances that they're going through presently. But when we get to the language of vision, there are places that are called mountains in the spirit realm. And it's upon these things that God places us individually to be able to see. And the higher the mountain you're at, the greater the vision. Somebody shout hallelujah. And so God here is telling us that it is possible for you to scale to a higher place of vision than you have been seeing before. And with that vision will come greater responsibility and align you to greater parts of purpose, mandate or assignment as concerning the things of God. That's why today I wanted to interest you in a conversation called Operating in Greater Visions. Like I said, the world of vision has dimensions. The first dimension, really, is the things you are able to understand by the things your physical eye is able to see. And not all our physical eyes are able to see are necessarily carnal. Some of the things that our physical eyes can see sometimes could carry spiritual connotations. And that's first dimensional. The ability to see or learn of the things that your eyes can see and then allude to divine revelation. And by wisdom and judgment, you're able to function there. The things of the earth can teach you so much about the things of the spirit. If you remember when he comes to Moses and then he tells him, build this uh, tabernacle or this dwelling place of worship for me as you have seen in the heavenly places. Now, if God tells Moses to build according to that pattern, which he carried a spiritual vision of and then builds on the earth, the people that were on the earth at that particular point, seeing what Moses had built, kind of had an idea of some dimension of divine thought, albeit they were only limited to interpret it only from the realm of what their physical eye could see and what Moses was able to explain to them. Are you following? The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, the 18th verse, he talks of the things which are seen and these things which are seen, he said, are temporal. So if you're in the first dimension of vision, everything your physical eye can see is temporal. It can go. And then there's a second dimension of vision, which is spiritual. And in this Corinthians passage is the things which are not seen. Paul calls them things which are eternal. So he says the things which are not seen, they are eternal. That's the secondary line of vision. And that now means that God gives you the grace to carry some sort of spiritual image or interpretation of a thing. And it sort of gives you a unique understanding that is far above the man which is not able to see beyond the physical realm. Now that's second dimensional. And that I believe every Christian has the right to access. In fact, by God, he doesn't assume that anybody cannot or will not. We all have the grace to. That's why he says, now that you live in the spirit, walk ye in the spirit also. He's not saying now that some of you live in the spirit. No, the reality is that all of us live in the spirit because we are born of the spirit. Are you following what I'm saying? But, there's a difference between your dwelling spiritually and the understanding or interpretation of the wisdom of that world. It's like when I talk about hearing God. 
there's somebody here saying, oh God, help me, I want to hear your voice. And No, 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 no. You're praying wrong. You're praying wrong. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you actually hear God. The Bible tells us that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So every believer actually hears God. And I've preached about it in a sermon a couple of years ago. But the only challenge is that we are not able to understand when God speaks. Our frequencies, I mentioned in that sermon, I think it's called hearing voice of God. But our frequencies, our vibrations, the way we are reconciled in understanding to how God speaks or His ways revealed according to the submission of our hearts toward His will, then are we able to really not miss when He says what He's supposed to say. God speaks every day and we hear Him. We just don't understand what He speaks. It's like when you carry a baby, a toddler, probably a newborn, and then you start speaking to them. If their ears are working, they're actually hearing. But the only challenge is that they have not yet developed the intelligence of interpreting language and therefore they are not able to understand what you're saying. But that does not mean that they don't hear you. They do hear you. They just don't understand. So it is with many of us that we hear God, but we don't understand. We don't understand. And in scripture, I've seen experiences where God comes to speak to people about something and they're not able to pick what he is saying. We saw voices coming for the sake of the people Jesus was with. And in some instances, they're not able to what? To hear or understand what God is saying. Because they are not positioned in the place of understanding Him by language and in person. So if you're that kind of person who says, I'm struggling to hear God. No, on the contrary, you're struggling to understand what God is saying. Are we together? When you become born again, the spirit realm is an inheritance and a right for every child of God. It's not possible for you to say that I am born again and you do not have access to the spirit realm. You do. But again, there are lessons to teach you on how to walk in the spirit. Not just to live there, but to walk. It's like living in a house, but you're not able to walk out. That means you're not fully functional. You're not going to be able to do the things other people are able to do in the world. If you're young, you're not going to go to school. You're not going to get a job and work like other people do. You're not going to enjoy the world because you're not able to move. Are you following what I'm saying? But if you have the ability to walk, it means you are open to the world of experiences. To experience the spirit realm as it would be for the man to experience the physical realm when they're able to walk out of that house. Now we have believers who spiritually are in one place like this. So everything that they know about God is only in the direction and position where they are physically or spiritually. And some of them don't even carry the wisdom of turning around to see the different degrees from where they are. And oh yes, we have a few who are able to stand where they are and see. But they can only see as far as their eye is able to learn, to see. When you learn to walk, it means that you open yourself to access more territory spiritually because then your eye is able to see further as you have the ability to walk. Are you following me? I have to make it so simple for some of you because I'm about to say very hard things in a few minutes. Somebody shout amen. So when we get into that world, the spirit realm, they are what I might call inferior visions in the world of the spirit. And then there are what I might call moderate visions, as in the intensity of their power and influence according to divine purpose. Some are inferior, some are moderate in influence and power and experience, and some are really great and high. You must understand that not all visions are equal. If a person has a vision about you seek, it's different from if they have a vision about the world sick. Both of those are visions, but one vision is touching the world and another is touching an individual. Are we together? Now, there are things primarily as a believer you should be able to know. 
That's the reason of the Holy Spirit. He says, you have an unction from on high. You know all things. You know all things. You know all things. That's generic because it has no assignment or mandate attached to it. You don't need to carry an assignment by God to have that access to see. And much as that's a very great place of knowledge, but it's not still the highest place of vision. Are you following what I'm saying? Because there's a place in the Bible called the end of all perfection. You see what I'm saying? There's an end even to the knowledge we know. You remember in Corinthians 13, where he says that whether it be prophecies, they shall what? And whether it's knowledge, it shall what? It shall cease. It's fulfilled. And then, in the next dispensation, God releases deeper knowledge. What our generation knows might not be what was available to the earth a hundred years ago. By reason of the glory of the latter church shall be greater than the glory of the former. What the people of the Old Testament knew, it doesn't matter how much they could know, could not be compared to the New Testament believer in what they're able to access by Christ. How many of you agree? So as we get to the end of the earth, one day I know Jesus is going to return. As sin increases, the Bible says, so grace should increase. He prophesied and said that in the last days, knowledge shall be increased. Now, if a man says that I have an unction from on high and I know all things, and he said that in 1900, chances are the knowledge that was available for him in that dispensation and time as God had opened to him might not be the knowledge that is available for you now because even in the knowledge of all things, there's a progressive grace of God that is pouring out in the next generations to know more than the generations before. Who has understood what I just said? So there are things that the, our fathers might not know, have known. But in their generation, as to whatever was available to them, if they were positioned right and aligned by the Spirit, they could have accessed it all as it was available for their generation. And let me tell you this also. Some revelations are available for particular generations. It's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. But in growing the church, the church grows like an individual. You see, there was a time the church was at its infant stage. You remember? How the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit in the upper room and how they used to distribute food together and how the church started on Solomon's porch and how they went through uh, persecution from Nero to Diocletian, 10 emperors. By 70 AD, the temple is broken and persecution is at its height. You see, that church is not the church now. It's the same, but we have grown. It has evolved. You see, at that particular point, it was mostly in Jerusalem. Now the church has spread across the world. She's maturing every other day. And what's the essence of a fivefold or fourfold? He gave some to be prophets, pastors, evangelists, uh, prophets. Actually, the Greek there says, which be teachers. That's why I usually say the fourfold. Because all these are supposed to be teachers. The teacher is not just only an office, but it has to be that which is had by the other four. If you study the Greek, you'll see that. They are there for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, to edify the body. That means every year of human history, the body is being edified. And in its edification is its growth. God expects us to be more mature than the church was two or 300 years ago. And if we should go to heaven and Jesus should tarry, our children should know more God than we have known him. Are you following what I'm saying? If you're a reader of Uganda, church history, Uganda. 1926, Edward Joe Church, that British fellow who comes here, meets an Irish nurse, Mabel Enso, and then they join hands at Namirembe, and then they pray for revival with one Simeon Sibami, and that whole team of the Yusufu Biangwa, Mukasa, and uh, the Nagendas, and that whole team. When you study our history then, 
and what was available even in understanding, you realize that the church transitioned. The Chiwempe movement in the 70s, it brought another level of the gospel as well. You see, the church grows every day. So with that also, knowledge has to increase. So if it is increasing according to dispensation, if I say that I have an action from on high and I know all things, I could only access what is available for my generation. And in the next generation, God will raise another man to do his part too. Are you following what I'm saying? There are places where man can be elevated into higher graces to be able to speak to the generations to come. But that is wisdom that is not usual. It's not something you can easily explain to people because not many people are able. In a generation, few men can really break through into the next generation. David made that prayer once. He says, I have seen you and your wondrous works since I was a child. But now that I'm old, do not forsake me until I reveal your power to this generation and the generations to come. Now you understand why up to today, we not only read about David, but we read his books and understand him. We read his story and understand him. You see? Oh yes, there are people who are able to break through to minister to other generations. But even when they do, in their generation as they connected to some of these things, there are also limitations in how they are able to interpret until the generation comes to whom it is given. The Bible says that the prophets of old searched of what manner of that was to come and the sufferings of Christ that were to come and the glory that should come after. And to whom it was revealed, the Bible says, that not unto them, but unto us, they did minister these things, the Bible says, which things are preached in the gospel, the same things angels desire to look into. So that means some of those prophets of old, even though they were prophesying, they could access things. Yes, they spoke them, they carried the revelation of these things, but they did not have the full part of experience because those things were for us. There are things we're preaching that might not be fully understood by our generation, but the generations to come will understand and might have fuller experiences than we have, even though we got access to some of these windows. Are you following me, child of God? But every dispensation comes with its grace of knowledge. And if Jesus should tarry, I repeat that again, your children will speak deeper than you're speaking. <laughs> Somebody shout hallelujah. Jesus sees a man called Nathaniel in John chapter 1 verses 47. He's coming to him in verses 47. He says, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. In verses 48, Nathaniel said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? From where did you know me from? Okay. And the Bible says, Jesus answered and said to him, Before that Philip called thee, when you were under the fig tree, I saw thee. Now that's vision. That's vision. And Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God and thou art the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I say to thee that I saw you under a fig tree, so you believe me? And Jesus says, you shall see greater things than these. That's why I always told you that to see a man under a tree is not a great vision. <laughs> to know someone's age by word of knowledge is not a great vision. But we function in it. I have been blessed too. And there are many prophets across the world who function in that realm. Who can tell your name, number. You know, when it comes, it does. It's a great realm. It's a good realm. But it's inferior. Do you understand what I'm saying? He told Nathaniel, there are greater things to see. There are greater visions in God to see. There are things greater than just seeing somebody do something. Or being in your room and then you see somebody do something wherever they are. There are greater visions. Are you reading what I'm saying? There are greater visions. 
And now allow me to go to Matthew 23, 23. I want to build something big there. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and scribes of his day. And he tells them something so profound. He tells them, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and listen, have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done and not to leave the other undone. Jesus is trying to tell us here, these guys are paying tithe. They're doing all that the law requires, but they are blind to the weightier matters, to the greater matters of divine thought. And these were judgment, mercy, and faith. So he's telling him, you are preaching the law, but there are weightier matters in the law on how the judgments of God operate, how his mercies work, and how his faith works. These are weightier than your tights and those other things you're doing. And he's saying, these you ought to have done and not left out the other. He's trying to tell them that even in the law you're teaching, there are weightier issues. There are greater visions in the law that you claim to teach. There's a bigger picture in the picture that you behold concerning the law. And in the next line, he says, verses 24, he calls them blind guides, not because they cannot see, but because they don't have greater visions. So when God introduces spiritual blindness, it's not the inability to see. No, it's sometimes rather the limitation of sight, sometimes by God, also is a blindness. If you are with vision, but you're not able to see as you ought, and your vision stays in the inferior things, the man with higher vision calls you blind. Do you understand what I'm saying? Not that you don't see, no, the people with the lower vision actually say you see. They can actually recognize that you're able to what? To see. Because there's some sort of activity that is built from your spirit according to what you are able to access spiritually by God. But if a man is in a higher realm of vision, that man will behold you as a blind one. So you're not blind necessarily because you cannot see, but you're blind because you are limited in your vision. He calls them blind guides because they cannot lead the generation that they're in into the weightier matters of the law. His judgments, his mercy and faith. And he says, because of that, you are blind. Why? Because God was no longer revealing himself where they were. God had transitioned. Jesus had come. One with greater wisdom than Solomon had come. And he was revealing way more than they had before the coming of Jesus Christ. You see, you must understand, before Jesus comes on the scene, and the Bible calls him one with greater wisdom, Whatever the Pharisees and scribes had was enough and judged as vision in that time because it was the only one available. Remember the days of uh, Eli Samuel in the time when the word was cast? The word was precious. There was a time there was no open vision. Like nobody would claim that they had an open vision. That if somebody said that they had an open vision, they were lying. It was not there. They were using a familiar spirit. There was no open vision. And the word of God was scarce. It was precious. It didn't mean it wasn't there, but it came in very little doses of revelation. And at that particular point, the only fellow who had access to that was Eli. He was the only guy, if God was to speak, the little that could be released in that generation at that time would only fall on one man. Who? Eli. You see what I'm saying? But scriptures tell us, as years evolved, his eyes started to become more and more dim. More and more dim. And when you enter inside the temple, the Bible tells us that the light of the temple, the candle of the Lord started to burn out as the man's vision started to dim. Now, this was not just physical vision. It was spiritual. As he continued to lose his spiritual vision, the lamp of God also went out in the temple of the Lord. Because there are no eyes for the man to see. What's the essence for God to light? 
the room. What's the essence for God to send revelation to a man which is blind? Because God is not a waster. Are you following what I'm saying? So in the dimness of that man's sight, it didn't mean that Eli was 100% locked off from divine oracle. It came, but it was little. It was scarce. Now, in Eli's time before Samuel comes, if you needed to hear God, you needed to look for Eli, even in his dim eye. At least by experience, he understood the way of the Spirit. That's why he could direct Samuel when Samuel comes to him saying, are you calling me? This guy has enough experience to know that this is not me calling this boy, but God is speaking to him because there were nuances that were built in his spirit by reason of experience, long enough to know when God was speaking. Even when he was not hearing him, he knew how he spoke. Are you following what I'm saying? So if you were in Eli's generation before Samuel had come and God had anointed him, anything that God would send, he could only send through Eli or to Eli because he was the only fellow who was available enough to receive. And because it was scarce, he could only send it in small dimensions or small degrees or no vision at all for many years. Now, so you must understand that when the Pharisees and Sadducees are around before the coming of Jesus Christ. They are the only light that God can use to reach his people. In spite of their indifferences, in spite of the inferiority of vision, they're still the available vessels and God can still work even in their indifference. Israel was not abandoned 100%. He could work with them as well. But God has said that now one with greater wisdom is come. They're supposed to evolve and adapt and mutate to what God is trying to say. But they were not ready because they were complacent and they built a laxity. I've seen the conveniences that come with the ignorant because they do not know what God has brought in every generation. And so they choose to stay comfortable and ignorant with what they have and proud. And that's the problem with some of us Christians that we are so proud in what we assume we know that it is easy for God to bypass us and go to another man and give him something or another woman and give him something because we are not broken. We are not available to God to continue hearing him when we must hear him. In every generation, as long as you are alive, you are of that generation, by the way. As long as you are alive, you're of that generation, whether you're 90 or you're 30. If you are alive, you're of this generation. It doesn't matter your age. So whatever is available for this generation is available to you. But you can shut your spirit and say, uh -uh, I'm not able to go or do more than this. I'm comfortable with what God has given me. Because some people received so much and it was enough to take their children to school, buy them a nice car, build them a nice house. Yeah, the comforts of life have come. You see what I'm saying? And it can take out the hunger and thirst that a man must have. The Bible speaks of a man called Jeshurun. The Bible says he waxed fat. He became so successful because of his connection to God. And eventually one day, the Bible says, he forsook the Lord which made him. And he lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. And so that consistent and constant prayer, that as you continue to grow me, may I never lose the place that constantly sends revelation and vision for my generation. May I stay on that window. May I stay constantly accessing whatever is new because to become old, you don't need to age in the body. To become old is your disconnect from the last time you actually had God. You are 30, but you are older than some 60-year-olds <laughs> who has understood the mystery. Because there's a 60-year-old that is leaning in right now on what's new with God. And there's a 30-year-old that is so stuck in the past that he cannot evolve or grow. That man has aged quicker than this one. That's the revelation of new wine, old wineskins. And I remember one time I shared that old wineskins in Scripture were not necessarily old because of how old they were from the time they were made, but they were as old as the last time they were dipped in the oil. When a wineskin, because they used to use goat skins, huh? so every time this goat skin would harden, that was old, they would have to put it through oil and press it. And when they press it and it softens, that was called a new wineskin. So it's not old because of the age of when it was made, but it is as old as the last time it was dipped in the 
oil. So some of you who say, God cannot put new wine in old wineskins, presupposing that God cannot anoint older people, you've lost revelation. That's not what God is trying to say. Because God doesn't look at age to anoint. Hey, come on. God doesn't look at age to anoint. Do you understand what I'm saying? He doesn't look at your age to anoint you. He can anoint you whether you're 70 or you're 20. It depends on when you last dipped yourself in the experience of divine revelation. Are you following what I'm saying? Can I go deeper? So, let's come back to what I'm trying to give us here. The days of the Pharisees and their revelation and whatever they have to sustain Israel has come to an end and the grace has ceased. Now, God has brought a newer experience of revelation. And through this man, Jesus, he is revealing weightier matters. <laughs> Glory to God. And then he's telling them that you guys, you're actually blind. Because you could see for the generation before the new revelation came. And now that something new is come, you cannot see anymore. He says that you are blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Now, I need to explain this. What it means to strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Now, back in those days when people used to drink, uh, they used to take wine and they're usually insects that used to fall into the wine. A gnat is an insect. Small little insect. Once it falls in there, they used to take time to search through the wine to make sure that these insects were out. So they search the wine and search the wine and search the wine. And then after they make sure all those small insects are out, they what? They drink. If a guy was drunk, he would drink some insects. So he's telling them, this is how blind you are. That you strain at a gnat and can look through, you know, the wine to make sure that no little insect stays there. But you're swallowing camels. I think in English it's called hyperbole. That exaggeration, some of those exaggerations are in scripture. If you carry wisdom, you can really understand that that's really the sacred language. It carries those hyperboles, those exaggerations. For example, when he says that if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Some of you think you have to get a knife and go, I'm tired of sinning. Even this one, oh no, no, that's not what he means. <laughs> If your leg causes you to sin, cut it off. Then they find you. What are you doing? Is causing me to sin. I'm tired. You see? Some of you take the scriptures literally <laughs> without carrying the mind of revelation and interpretation of what God is telling us. Are we clear on that? Now, here, of course, it's not possible for a man to swallow a camel. But he's trying to help us understand the seriousness of how a man can look out the nitty-gritty and search out those little commas and full stops. If you read it in the message version, Matthew 23 and 24, he says, do you have any idea how silly you look? Writing a life story that's wrong from start to finish, picking over commas and semicolons. You're there now, this comma, why is this comma? Why is this comma? Why is it? You understand? They're getting that, but they don't get the bigger picture and revelation of what God is saying. They're so careful with full colons. You know, there are people who are just, they're just there to scrutinize and criticize everyone, someone to see where the mistakes are. Then you bring a dead body and they can't wake it up. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> You're in the world just studying to make sure you know every mistake these guys are making. Okay, here, there's a wrong thing. Okay, how many people have you led to Christ? None. And the guy making mistakes is winning millions of people across the world. What's wrong with you? What is this thing that you're not seeing? I thought you who knows how to reconcile the commas and cross the T's and dot the I's should actually do more because you know. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like I've always laughed at uh, you meet a person who says they're a professor in theology. Am I against being a professor? No, I aspire. I aspire to be professor emeritus mention. But what I'm saying, if you say that you are a professor in theology, you are saying that you know God more than everybody else. At least there should be the assumption that, you know, your credentials should qualify you to be able 
to know more than the guy who knows nothing or who has not gone to Bible school. Some actually assume that. So in my head, I'm like, you have a whole library of books. You are read, doctor. But you can't heal a flu. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't get flu out of a body. So I'm like, so how do you invest all of those 10 years? And then you find a professor in theology and you ask them, how many souls have you won the last 10 years? Ah, uh, let me see. None. But you see, it's not about souls. What is it about? Do you understand what I'm saying? What does Jesus send us to do? Go ye into the world. Preach the gospel to all creatures, baptizing them in my name. And these signs shall follow them that believe. He says, you lay hands on the sick and they shall be healed. You shall cast out devils in my name and they shall flee. If you eat or drink of anything toxic or poisonous, it shall by no means what? Hurt you. That's the promise. That's the mandate. Whether you have a doctorate in theology or you have a certificate in divinity, Oh, you have not gone to Bible school. That's the mandate. That's the mandate. That's the mandate. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? So some of you invest so much time checking commas instead of doing big things for heaven. Glory to God. You're checking full colons and question marks instead of healing the sick and rescuing the world that is dying. You must know what's important to God. Now, you must understand this. If I can also go deeper. In Leviticus 11 verse 4, the Bible tells us that you shall not eat of these that chew the card or divide the hoof. The camel, because it chews the card but does not divide the hoof, so it's unclean. So the camel was an unclean animal. Do you agree? The nut... Verses 20, again in Leviticus 11, he says, all winged insects that go upon all fours are to be an abomination to you. So the nut and the camel were all, what? An abomination to eat. They were not foods to be eaten in the first place. Who understands what I'm saying? So somebody goes on a small insect and they can check it out because by the law, they are not supposed to eat it. But in trying to check out even the smallest so they don't err in the law, in the same time, swallow a camel. Did you get it? You are so careful about fulfilling the law to the letter, but as you continue fulfilling it, you actually error the most in the process. That's what he calls blind guides. Both of these things are an abomination and they're forbidden foods. And you are getting that out of the wine, not only for health reasons, but because God has said, you cannot eat even this little small winged creature. It doesn't matter how small it is. The fact that it has those wings, you're not supposed to eat it. So these guys go out and make sure nothing, they sieve everything out. And then they swallow a camel. Now, if you don't understand what I've just explained, you need to go back to school and study English grammar. Back to what I'm trying to tell us. So we find that even in trying to do what we know God wants us to do, we actually end up doing so contrary because we don't have the greater vision of life. Why is it important for me to preach this? Because the man who invented the comb had a great vision. You understand? Because you can comb hair with it. He had a good vision, I can say. And the whole world uses a comb because some guy thought it. So I can say, we celebrate the man who made a comb. But combs don't change empires. Greater visions do. Combs do not define destinies of nations. Greater visions do. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether people combed or they did not comb, there are greater visions that are needed to change nations and generations. So do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? The person who invented that little small app that you use to follow through your career, your education career in your school, it can help you know which programs are there and what, da, 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 da. you know, at school, university app. I think the universities have some apps, eh? They did a great thing for your university. But it's not the same vision with Zuckerberg. 
No. Facebook is 2.9 billion followers. Has a greater vision. He can do something and affect the voting process of a nation. That system Zuckerberg built can define the next president. Do you understand what I'm saying? But this boy was in his garage eating pizza, putting on t-shirts and jeans, building something. And maybe he didn't even have a full understanding of what he was building. But whatever settled in that boy's life has the ability to change the world. Now, some time ago, I think it was last year or the other year, where they built their own currency. And the nations of the world were like, no, if this boy builds this, eh, he's going to be one of the richest countries in the world by just virtue of building that currency. But what Facebook becomes every day, or now is bringing the metaverse, I don't know whether it will be a success, IT folk will tell us, whatever it is, that's a great vision. That's a great vision. So I started asking myself, can't you get one of these Africans here and put something on them that can affect billions of people? Thomas Edison and his friend Nikolai Tesla, do you know what the invention of electricity brought to the world? Imagine a world without electricity. Just imagine. Some of the electricity goes off and you become depressed. You need to swallow antidepressant drugs. Electricity just goes off and your whole body becomes sick. You even feel sleepy after coming from sleep. And what about our grandfathers who never saw this? Where was the world when these boys were dreaming of how electricity flows? Oh my goodness. Some people were sleeping. Do you understand what I'm saying? But there was a man somewhere in a room dreaming to change the world. Now that's a great vision. That is a great vision. Penicillin. You can mention things upon things upon things that the world has made. And I tell you, they are great because they have revolutionized human history like we know it. This boy, Elon Musk, you watch. Listen to the language. He's colonizing Mars. That's the language they're using. He's colonizing Mars. No, he's not trying to settle there. All human beings there. He's colonizing Mars. I think I heard by a couple of few years, he wants to settle a million human beings on Mars. Yeah? Go and Google how much resources are in Mars. You'll be shocked. How much resources in the ground are in Mars? Are you seeing what I'm saying? Now, there's a boy in the world right now. Some of you even traveling from your home in Mitiana to come to Fanero, it's far. You're struggling. And there's a boy whose brain is moving thousands and thousands and thousands of kilometers. <laughs> Put your hand on your head and say, Lord, have mercy. Glory to God. And I thought to myself, pastors and men of God, can't we have a greater vision for the church? Come on, shake somebody. Can God give you a revelation that can shake the North Pole and the South? Can God give you something that will shake America and put it on its toes? Can God put something in your spirit that it will shake Europe from the North to the East? Can God give you something that will make London lose appetite and sleep? Yes, that's called a great vision. And yes, it is possible. It is possible. Oh yes, people are doing business. But I don't think that heaven is run out of ideas of business. Oh, God can put something on your life. Come on somebody, I want you to dream. I know that you're only answering what you're taught in class. But you've never really explored to take out what God has put in you. And that is why I want to pray tonight. That may God stir somebody's spirit. That whatever God placed in your life will come out. And people will say that the next idea that evolved the history of business like we know it came from this woman. What about the guy who made money? What about the guy who made internet? Think about internet. Some of us existed in the days before internet, the World Wide Web, right? The time it had come, pastors and churches distanced themselves away. The computer was at beast, triple six, end of the world. God help us. 
Now every pastor I know has a computer. Some of us existed in the days before your windows came. These friendly graphical user interfaces where you use mouses and what. No, some of us existed in the days of CMD slash P slash O slash R space. Bah. Who remembers those days? <laughs> you needed to write commands for you to access a program. Now our people, you just go on a phone and just pa. What about the guy who invented the telephone? What about the guy who invented the radio? What about the guy who invented television? How these waves come and they enter your box and they give a picture and you cannot see where they're coming from. And a man sat in one room and a great revelation settled on him. And now all of you are consuming it. You're consuming it. You're studying it in your classrooms. How electromagnetic waves are flowing. You're studying things that some guy picked spiritually. That's a great vision. Why should you live life like a normal person, graduate like a normal person, have a good job, have some children and go to heaven? Is that all you can be? Come on, somebody. Shake somebody and tell them, is that all you could ever be? I believe that the God who created us has an idea and he has a way of stirring something in you. <laughs> I'm talking to that single mother who has one job that can believe God that the next idea in the clothing industry can come out of her. That's what the world needs. That's what the world needs. That's what the world needs. Right now, there are people who are dreaming for the next world. And there are some of us who cannot sleep anymore because we're thinking, what does the next world need? And I'm not a scientist, me, I'm a teacher. I'm a preacher of the gospel. So I'm asking from my own right and saying, God, the revelation of the next generation, I better have an answer for the next engineer. I better have an answer for the next pilot. I better have an answer for the next doctor. I better have an answer. I must be relevant. Artificial intelligence should not replace us. Somebody shout hallelujah, glory to God. Because we are not speaking from intellect. We are speaking from the spirit. There is divine authority. There is something called the anointing. That is not something that you can code. Paul calls it this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellence of power might be of God. I want to provoke you. I don't care how old you are. It can still happen if you choose to believe God. Because this is your generation as well, whether you're 80 or you're 22. Operating in greater vision. Then you're going to see Christian boys. Oh, and by the way, the Lord told me. The Lord told me something interesting. The next two years, the next two years, do you know, I was in my bed and the Lord told me, cancer is judged. Cancer is judged. Now, you're going to hear cures in the next two years. It was like it was a TV playing out of cancer cures. Now, there are people right now in their lab making sure that these two years cancer is healed. A Christian should be among those people. A believer of God should be among those ones. Somebody shout hallelujah. And I see it's going to happen. I see that the next inventions have your name on them. The next ideas have your name on them. That's what we need. We just need to stir a man to put up his hands and tell him, God, give me something greater. Give me some greater. Give me some greater. Give me something greater. Give me a greater vision. I want you to just take three minutes and just talk to God on this. I'm not going to tell you how to pray. In such sermons, you don't tell men what to pray. You don't tell people what to pray.
But God, I believe that you can put something on somebody today. Even as pastors, Lord, ministers of the gospel, we believe that you can give us the greatest vision of the gospel for our time. And if that should come in form of revelation, if that should come in form of experience, if that should come in form of gifting, whatever it should come, Lord, let it come. But may we be relevant in our days. May I be able to speak to the wisest. May I be able to make sense Come on, talk to God. Lord, be all else to me. Savior, thou art. Thou my best, Lord, by day, oh, by night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my life father we thank you for your word today the bible tells us by the way that you don't use perfect people you use available people you don't use the strongest you don't use the most learned. You use available people. And so I pray for all of us and every man at the sound of my voice. May we start operating in greater visions. May we be an answer to our generation. May you bat things out of us that are going to change our time. Give that politician an idea that will change the geopolitical systems of the world. Give that economist an idea that will change the economic systems of our world. Give that doctor an idea that will change the health systems of our world. Give that academician an idea that will change the education system of our world. Father, we bless you and we honor you because somebody tonight has received this word and it's going to change their lives. And by them, you're going to change the world. Hey, somebody give the Lord a mighty hand clap of praise. And allow me to pray with any man and woman of God on this ground. If you're a pastor or minister of a church. Father God, give us new revelation. Like has not been preached before. Like has not been revealed before. Open those windows of access and give us messages. That will catch the attention of the world. That will make sense even to the most learned. In Jesus' name we've prayed and believed. Give the Lord a man of praise. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to give you an opportunity right now to receive him as your Lord and Savior. This is the best decision you could ever make. Repeat these words after me. Just say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Today, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior, one who shed his blood that I might be free. 
Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999-400 or email us at info at fenero.org. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.